talk dirty to me. The Quick and the Dirty with Hillary and Sandra. You're kidding me. Here are things that I have put in my mouth. Uh, oh my God, Hillary. <laughs> it's what everyone is talking about. Get jazzy on. I'm Hillary from London. And I'm Sandra from Ottawa. And welcome to the Quick and the Dirty podcast. Life is better when you can laugh about it. We talk about real life problems, real life disasters, and occasionally we have some great guests on the show as well. Oh, today's guest is off the hook. I'm so excited to welcome. Is a he pro- really off the hook? Well, off the hook. In fact, he's off the hook. Um, you know, you know what's hilarious is that he's a Parliament Hill reporter, so he's not around cool people like us very often. So now I'm just trying to impress him. Uh, he's off the hook, uh, this guy. Yeah, and like he's a Parliament Hill reporter, so he's very serious in nature. And you're calling him off the hook. Well, I'm his cool DJ friend, you see. So I'm just trying to I'm just trying to live the lifestyle here. You get that, right? Yeah, we have some incredible <laughs> stories to tell with uh, with him. He's going to talk about the fateful day at Parliament Hill when he witnessed uh, all the shooting and what was happening that day. Right. He's going to talk about all the cool people he's interviewed. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, how cool his job is. I, I'm more interested in that peek behind the curtains. What really goes on day to day as a Parliament Hill record, a reporter. So we're going to ask him about all those off the hook questions. <laughs> Too much? A little too much, though, too right? Much. Sorry. So uh, I'll pull back a little bit on that one, then. Heaven forbid Sandra Plagakis be too much. I think that's, that's your byline. Sandra Plagakis, too much. Just too much. Actually, if you go to my Twitter account, at SandraKiss1053, it actually says never too much. So... <laughs> <laughs> so so I would like to now rescind my earlier statement and retract it. It's never too much. It's off the hook, people. <laughs> We're out of control. We're, uh, we're getting giddy, girl. You good? All right. So in the quick, we talk about basically how we failed in the week prior. I want to talk about how you should never let a man or a jealous friend take your picture. <sighs> I thought these rules had already been pre-established. Is this actually (laughs) still happening in your life? Okay, so earlier this week, I let uh, one of our promo coordinators here at the radio station, they came with me to deliver some food to an office, and they have to take pictures. And guys, they don't know angles at all. No, not at all. They'll just like, like, smile, click. It's like, no, we can do better. This guy will never be an Instagram boyfriend. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Yeah. He's trying to get a picture, including the ceiling, and he takes it so that he's closest to me with a group of 10 other people. So I look about eight feet wide. <laughs> wow. Does he still it's have his right job, Hillary? Like... Is he still working there? Honestly. <laughs> the picture is taken like right from the angle of the fat part of my arm. God. So that's the biggest thing in the picture. Do these people know that their job as promotions people is to make us look delicious? Like that's uh, the we're supposed to look good, not as unattractive as possible. I swear to God. And I was wearing a hamper pant onesie, and that angle was not <laughs> flattering. Well, you know, part of it's on you then. <laughs> You're gonna take have to take responsibility for part of that that went wrong. You're wearing onesies, Hillary. Didn't we have this conversation? I love them. Why? Because it's one thing to choose in the morning. That's right. But what about going to the washroom? That's like a whole thing. Is there a trap door at the back? I've decided I'm okay with being naked at the office. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, The other kind of people you're not allowed to have take your picture are 
friends who want to look better than you. Oh, God, no, you can't have those people take your picture. And you know who they are right away. The, the way they take your picture and they position you, it's like, yeah, girl, you don't got my back. Uh, no, because they're trying to make themselves look right. better by making you look like crap. We can't have those people in our lives, <laughs> Hillary. They don't belong. <laughs> uh, and then you have to you have to look like a bee by saying, yeah, I don't like that picture. I don't like that picture. <laughs> and then you start looking. Actually, you don't look like a bee. You look insecure. Well, <laughs> I look as I am. Okay. <laughs> it, but and then you, but do you have, uh, do you live in a world where whoever takes your picture understands that you have to pre-approve whatever moves on social media? No, I just remove the tags unless it's work related. <laughs> That's fair. That's okay too, because people that I work with understand that nothing shall go on social media unless Sandra looks at it and decides it's okay because we're in the business of, it's still showbiz, you know, to some extent. Yeah. You we're know, in the business of lying to people about what we're actually like in real life. It's bad enough you have to listen to my radio show and know what I'm really like. For those of you who don't and have to see my face on social media, I'm okay with the lie. You know, right. I'm totally okay <laughs> with the lie. It's smoke and mirrors, baby. Smoke and mirrors. I uh, agree. Yeah. Like you can know that I'm a bitch by listening to me, but I have to look nice in a photo. <laughs> That's right. Just tell me I'm funny and pretty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else is going oh. on with you this week? Okay, well, I'm very angry with Justin Bieber. Uh, what? I know. I called him up the other day. I'm like, Justin, I'm so angry with you. Um, he is the second big celebrity to get engaged at a very, very young age. You know, of course, he announced he and Haley Baldwin are getting engaged. And then Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson, they're, they're engaged now. And, I mean, there's a couple of angles to this story. Number one, they just got together and, you know, they've been dating for a month and all of a sudden they're putting rings on it, which is, you and I both know, kind of ridiculous. Well, they're, they got back together though right well they were casually dating that's right they were casually dating it wasn't really serious but yeah they've been friends for a really long time um my problem and i actually got into a debate over justin bieber's engagement with a co-worker earlier this week and it got heated and he said to me um why wouldn't you get married very very young so that you can get a house get your mortgage pay it off and then uh retire early and then travel and do what you need to do Okay, so this is less of an argument over Justin Bieber and more of an argument about people getting married in their 20s. That's right. And I am of the of the mind that in your 20s, that is the only time in life that you could truly, truly be selfish. You're trying to build a career. That's an opportunity to travel. That's an opportunity where it's me, 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 me. And then you can couple up and, and do what you need to do and have babies and whatever it is that you want, a house, mortgage, whatever. Why is everybody in such a rush to get their house and accumulate possessions? Square footage is because you have no money in your 20s, too. So how how much gallivanting are you going to do? Well, there's a lot of people who, who do some gallivanting, uh, especially if they still live with their parents, which most of them do. And, they, you know, they have decent jobs or have decent jobs to start off with. They could do a bit of traveling anyway. And you can certainly save money, right, if that's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I just um, I feel bad. I actually feel bad for people. And I know it's judgy who get married young because I know that ultimately you're going to regret the things that you didn't do in Careful your 20s. Now. <laughs> Careful now. Why? Is this a reflection of your own regret? Yes. I own it. I completely own it. I'm the first person. <laughs> I'm the first so person. You're, you're looking at your life and going, damn, I let that go. <laughs> I'm just saying I met Tim when I was 24 years old. Okay. And I'm I'm not saying that I don't didn't want to meet Tim. Of course I did. But I, I wish I met him five years later. There was a lot of opportunities for sex that I missed. 
There's I knew I was going to come to that. Multiple partners. There's so there was so many opportunities for travel that I missed because I was so busy, uh, you know, cohabitating with this guy and then building a life and buying a house. We bought a house when I was, I think we were 27, 28 years old, something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just think... I feel like I wasted my 20s and I squandered that time. And now that I'm in my 40s, I'm no closer to retirement than I should be. I still got to work till the end. And I, I, I think to myself, it would have been smarter to do it all on the front end because there's no guarantees that you're going to be healthy on the back end. I don't know what I'm going to be like in 10 years or 15 years. I think there's regret no matter what, no matter how you do your 20s. I'm almost 40 and I'm still not married and I don't have a house and I got regrets. What kind of regrets are yours, though? What well, is it that you didn't get married for real? Oh, 100%. Because I don't have that security moving forward. I'm terrified. Why do you need security? I mean, you have somebody that loves you. So so you're well, in it. Financially, I mean. And also, like, I, I miss the boat on kids. And it's it's tough. Because there's never a guarantee that there will be that somebody. Because in my 20s, I was like, oh, I got lots of time. I, I'm, I'm going to be choosy and wait for the one. And and I, you know, walked away from a bunch of relationships, which, you know, I have no regrets over that. But I think a lot of people in my situation probably would have settled, maybe settled down, had a house, had their kids, separated, and then done the real love part the second time around. Right. The starter marriage and then the... <laughs> right. And then the real one. Right. Uh, but it's different. Like, I think everybody has regrets because we'll never be as good looking as we were in our 20s. So there's never going back to that. I just wish I would have taken this body for more of a test drive, you know, back in my 20s, because now it's a mess. And, you know, if Tim dies tomorrow, I got, you know, I just I have I have I got no hand to play anymore. You're still young enough to rebuild. I we will rebuild. I'm going to need a sugar daddy and a, and a good surgeon is what I'm going to need at this point. I can't I can't rebuild on my own. <laughs> this is so I know it's I know it's so self-absorbed and so self but I like I I was legit upset with Justin Bieber like I I understand that I and I I like trying to really try to analyze his situation and I and I think how sad I am for him that he's probably a guy who's full of yes people surrounds himself with yes people constantly all day long he just probably wants somebody he can trust at the end of the day and he's tired of having sex with all his groupies and whatever. No, 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 no. You know what this is? What? He's part of that crazy Hillsong religious group in L.A. Yeah. But and they're like, and she is too. Is and she? have you seen Haley Baldwin? They go to church together. Okay, I didn't and realize they she was too. they want to be getting it on like Donkey Kong. And he's got to put a ring on it to do it. <laughs> okay, well, then she's not completely an idiot, that one. What about Ariana Grande? Uh, Ariana Grande, I don't know her deal. But a lot of those people in Hollywood are part of that Hillsong church. It's like this weird... It's like the less culty sort of version of the uh, the one that Tom Cruise is in. Oh, the Scientologist. Yeah. yeah. It's like the less like way out there version. Okay. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily religious reasons everybody gets married in their 20s. I think it might be for them. Oh, for them in particular. Okay. Well, you know, I don't want to get judgy about religion or anything, but it's dumb. <laughs> I have to say it. I just look at them and I'm like, what are you doing? Why is everybody in such a rush to settle down? I just, I don't know. You're right. I am projecting here because of my own personal regrets. But You wish that you weren't settled down. No, I, you know, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I wish I had sometimes waited longer. Sometimes I don't. 
Sometimes. Well, you never, you never, I, you never wonder. I wonder. My husband knows I wonder. What would have been if we weren't together for 20 some years? And he'll even say, that's a long time to be together. <laughs> like it is a long time to be together. <laughs> when did it. Tim become like an old man with a Boston accent? That's a long time <laughs> to be together. Long time to be together, woman. <laughs> uh. Pack the car in Harvard Yard, woman. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we're like we're like an old couple now, and we just have you know constant regret when we look at each other. <laughs> I'm kidding; we don't have regret, but it's just you know you can we can look look at a situation and just well, say, yeah, oh. you always wonder the what if. And like plus, even me with some of my exes, it's like, well, what if I did stay? Well, yeah. how would my life be different? You don't know. You don't know that if you had a kid with that person, the relationship would have changed, and they would have proven to be a great parent, and it would have change the dynamic you don't know i want to know likely um. <laughs> and we move on <laughs> let's talk about something actually intellectual instead of justin bieber we can do better than this hillary <laughs> <laughs> so today's guest on the podcast is kind of a big deal <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to write that in an intro. He's kind of a big deal. He is the Parliament Hill reporter for Rogers Radio across the country. I think that's the easiest way to put it. He's covered everything from Parliament Hill to the Junos and pretty much everything in between. He has interviewed prime ministers, including Justin Trudeau, Stephen Harper, Paul Martin, Jean Chrétien, and John Turner. I actually don't think there are any others. Uh, Kim Campbell. Kim Campbell in there, yeah. too. I'm so bitter I... about Kim Campbell. Can we not talk about her? Sorry, we scratched her off. Kim Campbell well, is Well, I haven't interviewed her either yet, so. Oh, she okay. is. She's the one I have not interviewed. Oh, she's okay. The one I'm going to tell you before we even finish this intro. I wanted to be the first female prime minister of Canada, and she ruined it. Yeah, she did. <laughs> she really did, didn't she? <laughs> Thanks, Kim. Uh, may I go on? Go ahead. Musicians Michael Bublé, Tom Cochran, Anne Murray. Anne Murray. Wow. Yeah. Uh, your hockey hero is Theo Fleury. You've interviewed him. And your favorite wrestler, Brett the Hitman Hart. Please welcome to the Quick and the Dirty podcast, Cormac McSweeney. Woo! Oh, am I Gla- the only one clapping? <laughs> yeah, just I'm, you, Sandra. Sorry about that. <laughs> And it's one of those like Nicole Kidman special claps. <laughs> I don't want to break my nails or anything like that. Cormac, welcome. I, I, I'm very happy to be here with you. Uh, before we even get started, I mean, you have interviewed some of the heavyweights of politics and media and entertainment. What does it feel like to be smarter than most people? <laughs> I am not smarter than most people. I want to get that out of the way right now. But I've just been, I don't know, lucky to have this job and be able to to interview people and, and get out there. I mean, the Junos were in Calgary when I was working out there, and that's how I got to interview a number of artists and, and take advantage of that moment. And working on Parliament Hill, you're, you're just around these people every day and you get the chance. So it's it's been fun. Was your goal from the outset to become a Parliament Hill reporter or were you just like, I just want to I just want to interview people and be a freelance reporter? I mean, did you was did you have your sights set on the hill? Well, when I was starting off in radio, like I went to Humber College for radio and I wanted to be a rock DJ and interview all the stars (laughs) and and I don't know, be controversial on air. But I loved politics and I was always interested because my dad had 680 News on nonstop when we were growing up. It was always the news on the radio that that we just it we absorbed that and so i had politics on my mind all the time and i was told you should try news you should try news so i interned at 680 news and i got a job out of it and i said hey 
this seems to be working. Let's go with this. And uh, that's sort of how I started my career. Not exactly the rock jock shock thing <laughs> that I, I had hoped for in my younger days, but uh, I've been loving every second of it. Can we just give a shout out to Humber College? I'm also an alum. Oh, and also oh. got my start at the same office, Rogers office in Toronto, interning. This is where the opportunities are, Humber and Rogers. Yeah, actually, it true story. Uh, by the way, can I just give a shout out to my place? Thank you very sure, much. Sure, yeah. Uh, the Gonk, also known as Algonquin College Radio Broadcasting, <laughs> graduating class of uh, 19... <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so good. So good. Well, we have also gone on to great things from uh, the Gonk, too. Uh, Cormac, by the way, I wanted to ask you right off the top, is it weird that we're interviewing you and you're not interviewing us? It's always weird to be on the other side of the mic, if you will. Are you uncomfortable? Partially because I don't know what you're going to ask. And Sandra, I don't know where we're going to head in this interview. I don't even know. So that, that makes me a little nervous, but we'll see where it goes. I'll, I'll just roll with the punches. Is it good for you, though, now to feel this? Because now when you interview people, you know exactly, you can understand the fear in their eyes when you stick a mic in their face and ask them a weird, you know, a, a pointed question. Or do you care? I don't care. I'll still ask weird pointed questions <laughs> at politicians. Good. They're public office holders. We, we demand the answers and, and we deserve the answers from them. Is there anything you won't? Oh, sorry, I was, Hillary, I was waiting for you to ask something. <laughs> I apologize uh, because I have a million questions for you, Cormac. Is there, now that we're right into it, is there anything you won't ask someone? And what I mean by that is there a line for you in terms of personal and politics? Uh, maybe, you know, you hear about sex scandals all the time. Not so much here in Canada, but it's happened. Is there a, you know, and if you hear about something about a politician, will you go there? I, I will go there. I think, I think the question you ask yourself as a journalist is, does this matter to the people? Does this situation or, or thing that you've heard and, and you're digging into or not, is this a situation where the public deserves to know and needs to know? And if it is, you know, that's something that you chase down and you, you do ask questions about. If it's not, then, you know, maybe, you know, if, if I, I you know, it is the impact of Canadians that, that, uh, that really matters when you look at all the subjects involved. And uh, I, I will ask a lot of questions. I've asked a lot of questions before that I never thought I'd ask. And, uh, yeah, I, I just think anytime you have a public office holder, uh, you know, the public has a right to know a lot of things about their lives and, and what they do. Do you think that the scope of journalism has changed over the last 10 years of what people feel they have the right to know? Just because of social media and everything, all the ways that we're out there. And, and our society is changing. I mean, look at the Me Too movement. Uh, th there are a lot of things that people maybe didn't know about or didn't report on. And, and sometimes it's not the fact of reporters knowing the information and not reporting on it. It's that, you know... Uh, in, in the Me Too example, uh, you need people to step forward to, to really confirm things for you to, to have a story. You're not going to go to air with a rumor that you heard. You have to dig. You have to have the facts. You have to have, especially when it comes to allegations, either a police report or you have to have an accuser in the situation, a victim who stepped forward and said, you know what? I need to tell my story. I need to talk about this. But until you get that, you know, you have to weigh the situation and see whether it's necessary to go forward with a story or also with, um, you know, with allegations, let's say, that have been brought up in politics recently. Uh, you have to you have to look at what the victim wants out of this as well. If there's somebody who has a story yet didn't file police charges, so there's no public record of what happened. 
you know, you, you can't go with something until they actually feel it is necessary to step forward and tell their story. So have is you, it, sorry. sorry. <laughs> okay, now, now you want to go ahead, Hills? Sure. Is it scary for you as a as a journalist when you're asking these pointed questions and you're trying to find evidence? Is it scary that it might come back at you later? Like we look at the what's happening with CTV and the the story of Patrick Brown and how it's now come back that that maybe it didn't happen and he's suing. Have you ever been in that situation? And does that situation scare you? I have never been sued for anything that I've done on the air, but there have been threats of lawsuits. It happened even at at the municipal level when I worked in Calgary, where somebody didn't like the reporting that we had on the air and called the station and called the boss and threatened to sue if we didn't change our stories. But when a story is based on facts and you stand behind your story, you stand behind your story. You don't give in to somebody who's just trying to uh, bully you to stop what you're doing because it's just not in their interest. Uh, but, you know, the public has a right to know. Now, that I'm not referring to the CTV situation in that case. Uh, that's before the courts. I'll let the courts handle that one. Uh, but you do see in politics a lot of conversations behind the scenes where, I mean, look, political staff, their job is to spin. Their job is to try and influence you as a reporter to make sure that whatever message they're trying to get across is the message that gets across in your piece. And so you do get that pushback. I think print reporters face it a little bit more than than I get uh, because, you know, I think partially because staff can see the written word and exactly what is there in front of their eyes. And so uh, there there is pushback there. But that's a part of reporting on politics. I, you know, if, if you do your work and stand by your story and, and it's based on the facts, which I think most journalists working on the Hill are, are excellent journalists, cream of the crop, they do their homework. They get the job done and try to get the facts right as best as they can. And, and most of the time, I think it's, you know, again, with the CTV situation, I'll let the courts handle that. But um, I think a lot of good work is done by reporters. And, and when they stand by their stories, uh, you're, you're still going to get a lot of pushback in those scenarios. Uh, Cormac, you and I have been talking about in the last few days how I'm obsessed with Scandal on the Hill. And I'm obsessed with the behind the scenes and what go, goes on. Um, is it like House of Cards? Because in my mind, it's just like that. <laughs> that is exactly how I see it. And there's uh, there's intrigue, there's sex, there's affairs. It's all of it. Is that murder? Is, there's so much murder. <laughs> Always murder. Yeah, I um, hope I don't get pushed in front of a subway train or something because of a story. But you know, you see House of Cards, and you're like, I knew it. I knew it was like that. Um, tell me about Canadian. Is Canadian politics as polite as it seems behind the scenes as well? Because it can't be. There's no way. Well, there's no way. I mean, like, look, it, it's not like Canadian politics is just some polite thing and, and everybody's just nice. It, and, isn't it, though? It feels like that half the time. Uh, yeah, but compared to the U.S., yeah. Like, look, look at our neighbor to the south. <laughs> when we see what's going on there, everything in Canada looks a lot lighter. Um, but no, as I said before, you know, you get pushback from political staff on stories you do. You you, you face these situations, but it's nothing like House of Cards. <laughs> it's, Aww, it's no I'm way so as dramatic. Disappointed. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can so I is you? most of the drama, the, uh, the acting out when they're, you know, talking about the issues? 
with the politicians, like you, I, I don't think they're acting when they're talking about the issues. I think a lot of the issues the, the politicians bring up, uh, they, they feel passionately about. And sometimes, you know, it may seem dramatic when you see them in the House of Commons banging their fists on the desks. And sometimes you do see them like after all of a sudden they've been uh, so upset and so angry, they sit down and they've got a big smile on their face. Oh, yeah. It totally seems like posturing. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's a part of the problem is, you know, there are a lot of people who there are people who do that but there are also people who feel very passionately passionately about what they do and so sometimes you see that and it sort of takes away uh from those who actually do feel passionately about the subjects that they're talking about so i don't want to like paint every politician with the same brush but yes you do see some of the dramatization if you will when they're in front of the cameras um and then you see them act a little bit differently afterwards but not everybody is like that one funny example was uh there was an ndp mp who um, was getting very worked up with their question to the point of screaming, face turning red. And then the speaker stopped them and said, I'm sorry, we had an issue with the translation. Can you start your question again? (laughs) (laughs) He laughed and then everybody kind of laughed around him and he started to, he started again from the start and had to work himself up into a frenzy again. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Cormac, I got to ask you about those three little words that also I'm obsessed with off the record. Um, Oh yes. Because you know, I've seen, oh God, I watch too many movies. I really have seen too many uh, movies about, you know, reporters who get information from uh, their sources and some of it is on the record and some of it's off the record. Okay, so here's the scenario. If you and I go to a bar and I spill the beans on something like super juicy, I've got facts for you. Can I say off the record at the back end of it or do I have to say before I give you the information? Before. You have to agree to off the record. You can't you can't just say something, drop a bombshell and say, by the way, that was off the record. Why can't you? Because you can't put it like it has to be an agreement on both sides. Off the record is not one person's decision. It's consent. I have to consent to off the record. So when I sit down, like, let's say I'm chatting with a political staffer or something like that, and I ask a question, if they answer it and then say off the record, then that's my decision as a journalist. Do I keep that off the record or not? Because it's their fault for not saying that, hey, let's preface this. This is going to be off the record. Are you okay to go off the record now? Because the assumption should be when a journalist is speaking with a politician or a political staff member that it's all on the record because I'm asking questions about a story that I'm working on or something else. So you have to agree. Both sides have to agree Cormac, to do off the record. What if one of you what if you're in a bar and one of you is drinking and then, then you try to do it on the back end? You then what, what do you do? Uh, well, they're drinking. Not you, but they're drinking and they get loosey loosey with the lips and they say some things and they're like, eh, but that was off the record. I have another scotch. Then what? I would say tough to them Uh, like there's actually a great quote and i won't i won't use the exact words but it's it's in a book that's been published and and is available for purchase um uh, written about the 150th anniversary of the press gallery and there's a notable journalist in there who uh, was asked about off the record issues and uh they had said look i would be at a bar and i'd hear politicians and and they'd be chatting with me and giving me information and they never said at all off the record and so I went with the stories and then they'd come back and they'd be really ticked off. And, you know, he used a, a, a swear word that I just won't use, but he said, you know, basically screw them because they're public office holders and offering up this information. And if they don't, if there's no agreement for off the record, then it's on the record. And what's it, the point of off the record anyway? If you shouldn't be talking about it, shouldn't you just not talk about it? There are some uh, staff members and politicians who don't agree to ever go off the record and that's 
fine. That's their choice, right? And that's the whole thing about off the record is you don't have to agree to go on it. But sometimes you can get information off the record that helps build some context with it and people don't want to be quoted on it as well but yeah usually if it's if it's a source who wants to give you information to get the information out there but they don't want their name or title associated with it uh then you know you can you can agree to go on background and you know cite the source and get the information out there uh but yeah off the record is supposed to be nada you can't use this information at all but sometimes it does help when you get certain information that helps with the context of a story or could help lead you in the right direction towards other information uh but it can't be sourced back to that person at all that's insane i could not do your job i would be paranoid and terrified all the time (laughs) (laughs) and you already are so it's terrible (laughs) I know. I have to do a two-minute newscast at the beginning of every show, and it scares me. Uh, You know what? I have a lot more white hair now than I did when I started on (laughs) Parliament Hill. Cormac, tell me about a secret. I want to know secrets. Tell me about something (laughs) about Parliament Hill that most Canadians don't know. Something that you see every day that we don't know about, just a, a part of your everyday existence that would surprise a Canadian or anyone listening to this podcast. I don't know. It's kind of hard because sometimes I just don't think about those things. Do you have a question? I might be able to answer some questions for you. Tell me about the press gallery. That's a place where you can go and make a phone call anywhere in the world on the Canadian taxpayer's dime. Uh, I'm yes. okay with that, by the way. <laughs> yes. I, and that's that's for uh, obvious purposes. Like if you're a reporter working on a defense file or something like that and you need to call um, NATO in Brussels, uh, you know, you can't be, you know, calling collect and then having a big charge put up and uh, you know freelancers who don't have let's say rogers paying for their long distance bills while they're working uh they may need access like that and so there are phones across from the press gallery room that in which you can call around the world um but yeah it's it's for legitimate purposes but you know hey i guess if you want to call your family up you <laughs> i <could>. know Cormac, <laughs> you know why I know, hillary do you know why i know that why? I was a Parliament Hill reporter for two days before I took my first full-time job in radio, and I spent those two days calling everybody I knew in the world. <laughs> I was expecting you to say before I got fired for saying something inappropriate. <laughs> I was I was like a part-time, like a stringer for uh, a radio, actually, a Shea 106 here in Ottawa, or 1061 Shea, whatever they're called this week. And uh, so I would, they at the time, they had a fully staffed newsroom, and they needed, and they, they, they plucked me right out of school and they were training me for two days and in that time I got another better job offer for a full-time job and I just left but I was like stoked about those free calls (laughs) (laughs) here's a secret did you know that there's a vault on Parliament Hill below the Library of Parliament no. What's it for? So it's, I, I call it a vault. It's it's more like a very secure room, but it's kind of it's where they- It's a safe room? Uh, not exactly a safe room. Um, Do we have a safe room for A panic room, just for me. <laughs> I need a panic room that travels with me. Like an inflatable panic room. Just a box that you can crawl into at all times. And cry. <laughs> Away from the judging eyes of the public. Uh, yes. 
um, no, but there's a vault downstairs, and there are a bunch of treasures underneath the Library of Parliament. Like there's there's a an Autobahn Birds of America book that is worth like somewhat over twenty million dollars. This one single book uh, that they have on display down there, and they keep down there. Um, there are other treasures, like there's a book with that's inscribed by Queen Victoria, where she talks about the death of her husband, which is like very unusual because you never usually see the handwriting of a monarch anyway and then you rarely ever see them talk about personal issues like the death of a loved one um so they've got a bunch of treasures down the inkwell of confederation is down there i've been down there before doing stories and it's it's a really really cool place and can anyone i mean can i can i go down there no why not? Because you're you. Well, can I get a media? Because <laughs> they know about me. <laughs> yeah. You've been flagged. There's a little picture of Sandra at the front Never desk. Never welcome back. Never again. All right. Cor- Those two days on Parliament Hill ruined it for you, Sandra. <laughs> they, they, they got the phone bill. No, like, we're out. We're out. Cormac, uh, yeah. you've been uh, on Parliament Hill during some very difficult days, I, so I've heard. Mm-hmm. Are Are you were there for the, the, the shooting? Yes, yes, I was there. I, I'm comfortable talking. Yeah, about I wanted it. to ask you how comfortable you were talking about it because I know that it was. Uh, well, obviously, we all know what a traumatic day it was. Would you be prepared to say where you were when it all unfolded and how it unfolded for you? Yeah. So um, what happened was it was it was a caucus day, and it was just a couple of days after that um, that, or I think it was the next day after the the car attack in Saint Jean sur Richelieu, where a radicalized person had uh, injured a member of the military and killed another uh, by ramming with his car. Um, and it was caucus day. So all the parties get together for their caucus meetings. They, they go behind closed doors and they strategize and the government is on, uh, in one big room and there's a hall of honor in the center. And on the other side is the official opposition, which at the time was the NDP. And so anyway, uh, I, it's a prime time for journalists to get information and chat with politicians. And we had just finished a scrum with then Justice Minister Peter McKay, who said that he was looking at changing Canada's terror laws uh, to address the situation that happened in St. Jean sur Richelieu. So I called up my editor in Toronto and I said to her, like, look, I think I've got a big story going on here. Um, little did I know moments later, uh, something else would happen. But I said, well, we got a big story. They're looking at changing Canada's terror laws. Like, let's let's jump on this. And then um, I heard I was looking at some videotape yesterday, actually, with our producer here, Adam, um, and I pointed out to him the security guard, Samarin's son, and I, I let him know, like, look, everybody was alerted to the situation because of that security guard. Uh, but what happened was Michael Zihaf Bebo, after uh, shooting uh, Corporal Nathan Cirillo at the National War Memorial, had driven up to the hill, ran up, hijacked a minister's car, and then drove that up to the front doors, got out, ran in, and the moment he entered that door, Samarin's son yelled, gun. I had my head buried in my phone, listening back to audio that I had, and I heard gun get yelled out, but it didn't quite click, but it gave me a second to say, what? What's going on here? And there were a few other people who were in the rotunda at the time, and then that's when we heard the first gunshot, and it was loud, like... You can hear a conversation on a slow day when not many people are around. You can hear a conversation well down the hall from the Senate to the rotunda, that kind of thing. Uh, it's a very echoey building. And that gunshot just shook me in the chest. Um, so I, again, a split second, I kind of froze. And I was on the phone with my editor still. And uh, that's when I saw people in front of me start to run. They were at the top of the stairs. 
Uh, there's like, I don't know, eight stairs or so that lead up from the front door into the rotunda. And they were at the top of the stairs and they started to scatter and run in different directions. And I realized, oh my God, something's going on. So I ran down uh, the hall towards the House of Commons and outside the doors of the caucus room were security guards. One of them was armed. Uh, and at the time, not every security guard on the hill was armed. Samarin son, that security guard who uh, yelled out gun, he had grabbed the barrel of the long gun that Michael Z. Hap Bebo had. Wow. And when he fired that bullet, it actually went into his leg. It ricocheted off the floor or something and into his leg. Uh, but he gave everybody a split second to scatter. And that, you know, second matters. Uh, but when I was running down the hallway, I saw armed security guard with gun pulled in front of me. I know a shooter's behind me. I just said I need to get out of in between these two um, so that I don't get caught in the crossfire. And I ran down a stairwell and a, uh, an audio person for Global TV who was there as well. He literally dove headfirst down that, those stairs. He told me later that apparently they were yelling at us to get down. I did not hear that. I like I don't know if it was just in the moment kind of thing and then I went downstairs and uh, they shoved us into a security guards office uh, to get us out of the way but a lot of people just a floor beneath had no clue what was going on upstairs how long were you in that room for until they told you it was secure we were there for I don't know maybe an hour to an hour and a half inside that room um, and in that time security guards came in because we were in that office grabbed uh, first aid kit stuff and ran out and I was trying to ask questions like what's going on has somebody been hit what what's the situation and they wouldn't say anything to me obviously in that situation they had more important things to worry about uh, but I went live on the air right away started talking about what I knew and uh, and then uh, we got I got moved to a different room and then after a while they decided to put everybody in the same room because they were doing sweeps of the building to try and see because there were reports on the day like we were watching TV inside the second room that I went to uh, which was a break room and we were watching the TV and seeing reports of like possibly five shooters and I remember that yeah uh, stuff in the Byward Market or, or near the Frito Center and uh, so it, there was a lot of confusion and nobody knew exactly what was going on so you know you, obviously throughout the day I mean my mind was focused on getting on the air and getting the stuff out to the people and talking about it and I recorded audio of the gunshots as I ran um, so I got that audio out to our station so that we had that stuff and then um, another journalist took video of what he had seen and, and that's the famous video that everybody uh, has used of the RCMP officers moving up towards the Library of Parliament and but when when Michael Z. Half Bebo was shot I was uh, I was downstairs being shoved into the uh, security guards office at that time how what was it Sorry, the, the, the problem is that she's in London and I'm in Ottawa, so sometimes... So you go ahead, Hillary. What was it like for you the next time you had to walk into the House of Commons and into the Parliament? It was the next day. Um, oh. So it was a very, very long day because we were uh, in lockdown until late at night and... I had done hits with like CNN and ABC and all that other stuff. And then um, afterwards I had to go uh, do an interview with RCMP uh, as a part of their investigation into what had happened. Um, and then the next morning for the morning show, I, I think I got like three hours sleep. I got up, went back down to Parliament Hill. Um, I believe the Harper government had said, we're going back and we're, we're going to hold 
um, we're going to bring the legislature back the next day, the House Commons back the next day, because, you know, we're not going to stop the business of the people because of of a terror attack. And it is a show of strength in a time of tragedy like that. Uh, so I was back there the next day and they let us back onto the hill that morning. Um, and we were able to go back and uh, the thing was, I left a bunch of stuff in the rotunda cause I just ran So I think my backpack plus my jacket. Uh, so I had to go get that and they had kind of piled up all the stuff that that was there after they had gone through everything as a part of their investigation. How has that changed the way you've done your job? Do you feel safe now when you go to work? I mean, I, we know security is beefed up big time now since that event. But are you, do you still think about that day when you go to work? Um, so one thing I, I didn't mention as well was uh, there were bullet holes through my jacket. What? And yeah, um, but I wasn't wearing it at the time. Uh, it was just, it was draped over a chair in the rotunda where I was sitting. And uh, there was a bullet hole that went through. Uh, so I'd given my jacket to the OPP as they, they investigated everything. But um, that kind of freaked me out because I had thought that, uh, you know, I, originally I thought uh, my cat had scratched a hole into the jacket. And I went to my now wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and said, look what your cat did. And she's like, that's not a cat scratch. And I, I saw that. So that that didn't sink in right away. But then later it kind of freaked me out a little bit. Um, and... I think a lot of people on Parliament Hill felt nervous going back. And there, like, let me point out that the, there are, were people in, in other situations aside from mine that were in more danger. You had, uh, you know, people who were on uh, the National War Memorial. I know another journalist who just was walking to work when Nathan Cirillo was shot. And he was right there at the War Memorial as well. So a lot of, a lot of people, whether it's staff members, uh, security guards, uh, who did an, a tremendous job, RCMP and security, um, and, and uh, reporters who all kind of, you know, in the, in the days and weeks that followed, uh, we were all jumpy. And, and they were still doing that construction on West Block at the time. So wow. in the weeks and months that followed, you'd have these massive booms because they were um, doing controlled explosions to get uh, to to dig down into the ground as a part of the construction. And it had happened before that point. But after that point, I mean, everybody kind of, you know, your hair would stand up every time there was a boom or your heart would race. Um, and it's... I, I don't feel unsafe going to work, but I think about things a little bit differently than I did before then. Um, and you notice things, you're kind of like, well, you know, you, you, you think a little bit more about what could happen in scenarios like that. Yeah, you're real. I bet you you're really aware of every time you walk into a room, you probably check it maybe in a different way. Uh, yeah, I think that more so after that had happened, um, I'm not like that anymore, but, uh, I, I do know that, you know, there are other staff members and stuff like that. Like I ended up building some bonds with people that I had never really inter interacted with or, or got personal with. And then, you know, a couple of other people who were in the rotunda that day, especially one woman who we chatted about what we had both gone through. She told me her story. I told her mine. And after that, you know, we've always stayed in contact and chatted and for anniversaries of like October 22nd, we, we've chatted about it and, and talked about it and sort of built a friendship and bond that we never would have had if it weren't for that day. But we kind of leaned on each other to talk about our experiences.
Do you feel like it's a little bit of a loss of innocence? Kind of like when a child becomes aware of the realities of the world? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, do you mean me personally or for the country? Uh, the country and for people working on the Hill? Uh, for people working on the Hill, I think, you know, you heard some people talk about it afterwards saying, like, we always knew that we didn't have enough security here. Like, we were well aware that we were vulnerable. We should have done something ahead of time. So in that sense, maybe. But I, I don't... We've seen a lot of tragedy in Canada. This is not the first time something has happened. It It was shocking to see it unfold for everybody across Canada. But at the same time, I, I don't know if really, you know, the loss of innocence is, is the right way to put it. Um, but it was a reality check. That's that's the way I think it should be framed, is that we didn't have enough security in place. Not everything worked out the way it should. Um, you know, you had security guards on the inside of the building who were not in contact with RCMP on the outside. They worked on different radio um, levels. And and so, like, things like that, it's like, how did we not do that before? But we weren't. And there were jurisdictional issues involved in that, and, and I don't want to get into the weeds on that, but um, I think it was the reality check that Canada received uh, to say we need to beef up security a little bit. But the good thing about this is that we are a democracy. We're not just shutting down Parliament Hill to the public. It's important to have our Parliament buildings open to the public. And so as much as it, security is increased on the Hill, there's still that access. You can still do yoga on the front lawn of Parliament Hill. You can still play a soccer game on the front lawn of Parliament Hill. Maybe it's not like you know the 70s or 80s where you could literally drive your car right up to the front doors as a member of the public. But, uh, you know, I think the world has changed since then. I'm glad that it hasn't stopped you from doing what you do because you're very good at it. Uh, I know we only have you for a finite amount of time because I guess you're very important, etc. <laughs> but I do have to ask you, Cormat, is there some, a, a career highlight? If you had to think of someone that you've interviewed that you thought this is it, it is not getting better than this. You know, besides this podcast, of for, course. Yeah, <laughs> right now, this has been the highlight. Everything's downhill from here. Uh, that's what I thought. You know, you've peaked. <laughs> um, you know, personally, I was thrilled to speak with Theron Fleury. He is my oh, wow. hockey idol. And he made uh, a hockey comeback while I was working in Calgary. He tried out for the team again. He played some preseason games. I bought tickets for the first, like, four preseason games of the Flames because I wanted to be there when he returned. And I was there when he scored the shootout winner to win the game in that preseason game. And I, I'm not going to lie, I shed a tear. I was so happy to be there. But to speak to him around that time as well, um, that was such a thrill for me. I've had moments where I'm like, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm doing this. Um, I was in the Oval Office with Donald Trump and Prime Minister Trudeau when uh, the Prime Minister made his first trip down to the White House. And so to be in the Oval Office was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my I'm, God. I'm I here. didn't know that, Cormac. You didn't? I had no idea. I know I'm not following your every move. How dare I? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were at the Oval Office. Yeah, yeah. Um, Is he an idiot? Not the PM. I'm talking about the other one. <laughs> Is he as much of an idiot when the cameras are off? Uh, well, like I'm, I was, I've only been around him when the cameras are on. Ah. I haven't been there just chilling with Trump in the Oval <laughs> Office. So I can't tell you what he's like behind the scenes. But um, that was actually neat because uh, we had a big problem where the prime minister's office and, and the traveling journalist showed up at the front gate and uh, Secret Service were like, yeah, this list of people can go in. This list can't. And 
I was one of the people who couldn't. And I was like, what? And part of the reason was apparently they, they mark down birthdays differently in the United States and we do like day and month and year. Uh, so oh. I guess it's, uh, and, and we do month, day, year. So that was an issue where the birthdays didn't line up with their list and with our passports. But They also, couldn't figure it out? I, you know what? Like, I, I don't know what the <laughs> other issues were, but I, I you know. I give credit to the prime minister's office because I was supposed to be a part of the pool going into the Oval Office and I knew that was happening right after the arrival. I missed the arrival and I was like, I'm going to miss everything. I was supposed to be in there and all of a sudden, uh, 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 one of the people working with the prime minister's office had uh, been dealing with the Secret Service and grabbed me and a couple of other journalists who were supposed to be in that room and said, I'm getting you in. We're going in now. Come with me. We got to go. And we ran from the front gate across the front lawn of the White House. And all I could think about while I was doing that, because we were trying to make the photo op, I was like, I'm pretty sure a sniper has a beat on me right now. <laughs> like, what are these guys doing running across the front lawn? And then, uh, yeah, we ran and we were at the back of the pack for a massive crowd of American and Canadian journalists trying to get in there for the photo op, for the handshake and all that jazz. And when I walked in, I, I was in a bad position, so I tried to walk on the outside and curve around. And then I was I realized why no one else was there because there's a huge lampshade in my way and I couldn't see anything. And then I get on my tiptoes and, and on the other side of that lampshade was Donald Trump. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, okay, this is, the, I'm here. <laughs> uh, but everything happens so fast on those trips and, and in those photo ops, you're in and you're out. And so, you know, you, you don't have time to really just soak it all in. It's kind of like chaos. So, that was my experience. And then I saw him at a couple of other points throughout the day for, for different photo ops and things like that. And then at the G7 again. What's your dream interview? Who's your dream interview is what I should ask. Again, besides this podcast. <laughs> Are you saying like dead or alive? De yeah. Okay. Well, do you want to go dead or alive, Hillary? Sure. All right. Um, only because he's a hero of mine, but Kurt Cobain. Oh, Wow. Huge Nirvana fan. Huge Nirvana. <laughs> so I would love to pick his brain about a number of things. First of all, so how it ended. Leader no, of the that... free world, Kurt Cobain. <laughs> <laughs> so that, wow. I, I, you actually threw me for a loop there. I thought you'd go with like a historic Abraham of, Lincoln. Abraham or, Lincoln, right. Or, you know, Oprah Winfrey or somebody. Pierre even. Trudeau. Pierre Trudeau or um, something like that. Stephen Baker. Yeah, anyway, Sir Johnny McDonald. No, but Kurt Cobain would be my dream interview yeah. in, in that regard just because of personal fascination with Nirvana <laughs> and his music and his life and all that. You're a pretty cool cat, Cor Cormac. Good. <laughs> Sorry, you make me stutter, Cormac. You are a pretty cool cat, though. You really are. When I, If I saw you on the street, you little silver-haired fox, I would never in a million years guess that you were a Parliament Hill reporter. I think, I, I don't know what I, I think you were like an IT guy. I, you know, um, at the... <laughs> You're not painting a great picture, Sandra. No, I'm just saying, he looks like, Cormac, I'm just saying, he IT so guys, the lookers of Ottawa, right? <laughs> okay, maybe I said that wrong. But I'm just no saying. No offense you, to the IT guys. I'm just saying, you're like, you, you, you've got a cool vibe, like for a, a Parliament Hill reporter. I just think so. I, maybe, I, maybe IT guy was totally the wrong analogy. I could have done better. Maybe, okay. You've got like a, you still got your hair. I think that's important as well uh, to so, note. Yeah. And My uncles have pointed that out to me when I complain about the white hair. They're like, at least you at have your hair. At least you your have hair. your hair. You do. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> I do that to men, Cormac. That's just what I do. <laughs> well, you are Sandra Pagakis after all. <laughs> it's true. I am. 
Is she dusting you with her boa? Uh, she she has it in her bag. She left a trail of feathers as we walked in here to the studio. Do you know that I actually summoned him with it? <laughs> I started flicking it. Come with me, Cormac. And he did. He just came. That's Is this an HR issue? <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm just attracted to boas. <laughs> That's right. You are, That's Cormac. It. You're a good boy. And don't forget to follow The Quick and the Dirty on social. Instagram, at Hillary on air, at Sandra Kiss 105.3. Twitter, at Hillary Welch at Sandra Kiss 105.3 and Facebook at Quick and Dirty Podcast. If you've got a question for us, you can email us at thequickandthedirty at gmail.com.